Welcome to Teleos, a podcast designed to encourage and equip parents and leaders as we make mature disciple makers of the next generation. We're glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. Today's episode is a second part to a two-part episode where we sat down with John Bainey and Kevin King and talked about human sexuality in the modern age, where we are, how we got here, and how we can follow Jesus in this cultural moment we find ourselves in. This is the culmination of a lot of research done by Kevin and John in preparation for a teaching course that will be um, toured around to the different Sunday school classes here at Grace. It is a second part, again, to a two-part episode, so if you have not seen the first part, I highly recommend going and watching that first. But if you have seen it, welcome to part two. Here we go. Let me mention a few things about what's happening in the research, because at least for the, and some of these blur between both of our topics, homosexuality and transgenderism, but the big ideology today is I was born this way. And if I'm born this way, then you can't say it's wrong because it's who I am, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to discuss that a little bit. But here's just a few points, and I want to read a quote out of a book that was uh, really impactful. I put it in the show notes, but it's called Born This Way with a question mark. So first of all, um, J. Allen Branch, who's the author of this book, says the brain can construct neural pathways, and these pathways become reinforced and stronger each time we engage in various sins. So earlier, Andrew, when you were mentioning kind of the spectrum and what does that mean, Mm -hmm. um, anything that we do more often or we give license to or freedom to or pursue, that's going to enlarge the neural pathways. Like a more, yeah, well-worn, easier to follow Like a highway, yeah. Yeah. But also saying no and resisting temptations for any of us, even beyond these two topics, will help it become easier to say no to in the future, right? So there there are neural pathways that help us and as a believer, that's awesome too, because we mm-hmm. also have the Holy Spirit it leading us me, and working in us. Um, this is my observation, but I, I heard it said that this is this is the way that uh, you reap what you sow gets acted out neurologically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even God giving them over, right? I mean, there's, right, there, there's right. a lot of stuff that's intermingled here that'd be interesting to philosophize about a little <laughs> bit another more. Time. Yeah, it's another time. <laughs> um, a couple other things is we we also see that male homosexuality and female ho- homosexuality seem to be significantly different in both their occurrence and etiology with men and women apparently arriving at homosexual orientation via different paths. What's etiology? Uh, just the the way it uh, comes about. Okay. Right? The, the stem of it. So in a way, a simplistic one-size-fits-all answer will be ad- inadequate. So we're kind of getting more into, you know, how did someone become gay? You know, is it is it nature or is it what nurture? The, and, and what are the similar experiences shared by? Yeah, and I think we as a church, maybe even as a society, but we who care for people in our world who who wrestle with these things, I think we genuinely have a desire to help them, mm-hmm. and we're also wanting to be a one size fits all because aha, mm-hmm. if we know the cause, then we know the solution, uh, and here's how to fix it. Um, but people are not meant to be fixed in that way. God mm-hmm. is the fixer of us in the mm-hmm. sanctification process. Mm-hmm. So let me just read this quote, and then um, I'll pause and let Kevin share a little bit of the research, because he's actually got some more interesting research on what's happening with uh, transgenderism right now. But hear this quote, is it possible that some differences in the brain influence someone's sex, same-sex attraction? Since Christians believe the fall has infected all of creation with the effects of sin, it's at least possible 
that some patterns of brain organization can make one more susceptible to homosexual temptation. Yet, a predisposition to a particular sin does not mean one is hopelessly predetermined mm. to participate in the sin. Mm. There are numerous limitations associated with the major born-this-way arguments related to the brain. These weaknesses are enough that even the most secular person should refrain from dogmatically asserting a gay brain exists. But at the same time, enough has been found that Christians should refrain from dogmatically asserting that differences in the brain have no influence whatsoever on sexual temptation. Hmm. And so the short answer is, which is probably not the most satisfying to you listeners, is that we don't know. Some people will say, oh, it's only nature. Mm -hmm. It must be the way they were raised, or their mom coddled them too much, or made them dress up, or well, I that, don't know. That would be nurture. That'd be the nurture, sorry, the, or it could be the nature, yeah, sorry. Um, or some people say, no, it's only the brain. There's something in the brain that's wiring, hardwiring them mm. to do this. And the, the short answer is, is no, it could be both. Yeah, it's complicated. It's and complicated. Unique. They've I not found it. They've not found a gay gene, mm -hmm. and they've also not pinpointed that everyone who's gay all had this happen to them in their upbringing. Right. Right. Even twin studies, where one twin is gay and one is not, have shown that there are other factors at play. Sure. Okay. So that's kind of where the research is. Which I again, I know it's unsatisfying because we want to pinpoint what's going on here, and quite frankly, we don't know the cause. And we also are saying, I guess we're saying, there's not really a solution. If your solution means that you're trying to turn a gay person straight, mm -hmm. there's not a solution there. The solution ultimately we're going to tell you is Christ, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we need to pursue Christ. But that's kind of the research that's happening right now in the homosexual uh, arena. Go ahead and give us a little bit more on what's happening with transgenders and research. Um, yeah, I'll try to do this uh, like a quick overview or something. Um, so a, a 2016 study posted in the National Library of Medicine uh, cited that one in 10,000 natal males and one in 30,000 natal females um, were citing uh, gender dysphoria. Um, and then it is estimated that a 61% to 88% of early onset dysphoria cases ended up desisting by the time the child hits puberty. Um, however, the majority... Can you, can you define that real quick? Uh, uh, define what early what? onset dysphoria yeah um this would be that they experience uh gender dysphoria like a very young age okay. and sometimes it's like two or three. Oh wow um but it, it would just be because there's the difference there's rapid onset rapid onset gender dysphoria which typically would happen like in high school years where doesn't the child, start till high school yeah, yeah the child would have no um evidence of having gender dysphoria before that mm. and out of nowhere you know here here you are so, uh, 61 to 88% of early onset dysphoria cases end up desisting by the, child, by the time puberty happens. However, the majority of children who have resolved dysphoria do report that they have homosexual or bisexual orientation as they enter into teen years. So, there, there's some statistical That's linkage there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just going to quickly go over some of the, the current conversations that are happening kind of within the transgender community. Uh, you know, I'd mentioned intersex uh, before. Um, and again, that's defects or syndromes that cause a person to, at times, be born with irregular chromosomes, gonads, or genitalia. But the argument and why intersex is included within the you know, acronym um, is they'll say, since intersex exists, 
there are incongruencies within the binary genders, so I can identify mm-hmm. as non-binary. Mm-hmm. So that's where intersex really kind of comes into play there. However, uh, the reality is that 99% of people who have an intersex condition are unambiguously male or female in their chromosomes and external genitalia. Mm. Um, intersex does not pose the idea of a third gender or more genders, as each intersex person still only has either male or female body parts. To suggest that there are more genders because intersex exists falls apart when you actually look at the majority of intersex people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. According to Planned Parenthood, one to two percent of people are born with an intersex condition. So that means ninety-nine percent of people with who would uh, of those one to two percent would still be unambiguously male or female, leaving a very small minority of people who might have a harder time identifying as either male or female. Um, and in those cases, doctors typically suggest a gender that would seem more dominant in their body. So that's that's kind of the current conversation of intersex mm-hmm. and kind of why it doesn't work to say, well, since intersex exists, I'm non-binary because yeah, yeah. intersex people are still binary and they mm. only show binary features. It's not like yeah. they have a phalange molecadu, you know, <laughs> and like, oh my gosh, there's a third thing going on, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's intersex. Uh, another one is uh, a big a big thought or theory is brain sex theory. Um, this is the theory that brains are sexed and can be sexed differently from their biological bodies. Um, and it can be described as an intersex condition for the brain. Um, and the argument here is that since my brain is female, even though I'm male, I have physical legitimacy to transition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, a very, so I just want to say for somebody who is um, in the trans community, this is a very hopeful theory. It can be something that really um like gives voice to what they feel mm-hmm. and so even though i'm going to kind of talk about the research that's, that's going on and i just want to make sure that um we recognize that that this uh experience is is um of brain sex theory or if people when they're experiencing gender dysphoria or identify as trans brain sex theory has been a very um, comforting thing for them mm. um so to discuss this theory, we, we kind of really have to discuss the idea of neuroplasticity. And I don't really want to go super, super <laughs> deep into this. But neuroplasticity is just the the brain's ability to physically change throughout a person's life. Mm-hmm. You kind of already talked yeah, about the neural it, right? pathways, neural pathways yep. right? So this is like, you know, um, say somebody is abused in an alleyway and that's just a trauma, right? Your mm-hmm. brain is going to physically change because of that event in your life don't they use like the tire tracks it's kind of like yes a, like right. the more you go over the tire tracks yep. the deeper it becomes yeah. and so say that person's going to walk by an alleyway in the future well they're gonna have a really hard time not mentally going down back to their abuse you know because mm-hmm. their brain is physically changed hmm. um and so our brain is changing all the time i mean it, and just naturally it should it's a good thing like when we're two, we don't really know how to communicate as an adult. We don't know how to interact in social situations or at an adult party. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learn those things and our brain kind of gets more, to use a really poor word, just concrete in in a way where it's set. Mm. Like, I know how to do this. If we didn't have neuroplasticity, we'd still be 35 and going, how do I interact at this party? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I know there's a lot of people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're oh, describing yeah. my life. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying it's a helpful thing. But because of neuroplasticity, it's actually been very hard for researchers to um, 
kind of say, hey, look, this is a male brain, or look, this is a female brain. Because as they're studying people maybe who were trans um, in their life and now they're, they're passed away, and they're looking at like correlations between the brains, it's hard to go, okay, well, is this a correlation because these people all took gender hormones and they all lived as female for over a decade. Oh, and, you know, their brains were changing that way because, right. they, you know, so, or mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So, so really research, what, what, I'll just sum this up really quickly because there's a lot of research to, to talk about here. Um, what I'll say is to sum it up is that the research that has been done does not support brain sex theory as a viable theory right now. There's right. not enough conclusive evidence to say that brains are sexed differently from your body. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, yeah. So there's just, there's, there's just not enough research to support this, uh, this theory. Sure. Um, something that also kind of goes along within brain sex theory is the prenatal hormonal hypothesis. And this is, you know, some uh, babies w- within the womb will get a rush of hormones um, so say it's a, it's a girl and they get a rush of testosterone. And so people will say, well, it's because in utero, they got a wash of hormones and it, it can masculinize or feminize their brains contrary to their biological bodies and thus they're medically trans. Um, there's been, again, studies on this. Uh, and so there was, I think, one study at Penn State that concluded the prenatal androgens apparently have a large effect on interests uh, and engagement in gendered activities, moderate effects on spatial abilities, and relatively small or no effects on gender identity, gender cognitions, and gender peer involvement. So what it means is that, say, there was a baby in utero and they get a wash of testosterone. Well, they might want to play softball. They're statistically more likely to play softball, but they are not statistically more likely to be trans. Interesting. There's no yeah. statistical significance there. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so in conclusion, there's at, at this time not enough evidence to support brain sex theory or the prenatal hormonal hypothesis. Yeah. Um, and then we quickly mentioned gender dysphoria, rapid onset gender dysphoria, and um, that that just again the distinction there is it's not early onset. It usually typically happens in teen years. Um, they weren't uh, exhibiting any symptoms younger in life, and now and now here it is. The the thing with rapid onset gender dysphoria. Um, is that it also is really, really linked with kind of social pressures and um, and it also is it statistically resolves in young adulthood. Yeah. And so and predominantly it's it's with females. It is, yeah, it's it's eighty-three uh, percent. Okay. It looks I'm just looking at eighty-three percent. Eighty three percent. Majority of kids rapid onset gender dysphoria were eighty-three percent females. Um, they, 44% came out as transgender after one of their friends did more than 60% of those who came out increased in popularity. Um, and so it's wow. just, uh, what, yeah. do you know what years the studies okay. taken from? Um, I'd have to go back. And this look. is like but happening it, it right is, now. It is pretty current. Pretty, okay. Yeah. This isn't like old information. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a social contagion. Right. Seems like. Cause really this is just a that. very new well, so yeah, it there's seems not like a lot of phenomenon. data points. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, being a new thing, it just muddies the water so much to bring a social element into all this. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, you know, you can watch a classroom full of first graders and there's already social pressure and they'll oh, behave yeah. differently mm-hmm. at home, yeah. differently at school, you know, and so on and so forth. So, mm-hmm. so to add that to the mix, along with brain sex theory, along with, mm-hmm. you know, internal experience, external experience, social pressure. I mean, like that is really hard to get a handle on. Yeah. 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 And, and it shows how much our society has shifted that now to, to come out as transgender actually increases the popularity yeah. because it's so endorsed rather than it would ostracize them or marginalize mm-hmm. them. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so we we just want to talk about a couple conversations. Now that we're talking more about um, parents, how do you navigate some of these nuances in light of all this information? And again, we'll give you some resources, but um, we want to talk about, so what do you do <laughs> as a parent? And it does start, let's go back, Kevin, talk about language, talk about um, what should we do? And I guess this is for teens even more than than adults, but it could be for both. What do you do when you're at school? And this has actually, I think, happened to some students in our youth group. They're at school and there's someone who's transgender who says, I want you to refer to me as this. Mm-hmm. How do we deal with pronouns, the pronouns situation as Christians? Um, well, what I will say is that as, you know, at least at, at our church, right? Because we already said that churches believe many things. But at our church, one thing we will not be divided over is the divinity of Christ, um, the reality of his resurrection, yeah. um, him as the only path to salvation. Mm-hmm. And uh, But some things that we may legitimately be divided over and still maintain our um, submission to Christ is our thoughts on will we use pronouns or not when you differently when you say dividing you mean like disagreement yes not disagreement. Like leaving and going no somewhere else. i'm <laughs> saying we can all still be in the same body of christ here mm-hmm. yep and have different views on this and it doesn't make you not a christian yeah. yeah um that there are legitimate arguments for using pronouns and against using pronouns or preferred pronouns i should say um and if you use preferred pronouns doesn't mean oh my gosh you're gay affirming or trans affirming and that you're not a christian and if you don't doesn't mean you're whatever so what i'm gonna do is not tell you what you should personally do but i'm just going to present you the different arguments Mm -hmm. and that might just help you get some clarity on why people think what they think and what you might be you know wanting to do for yourself so arguments against using preferred pronouns um the first one is that you'd say i'd I'd be lying right i'd be lying if i if i call this boy or girl um and and this is where john piper would kind of come in he's quoted by saying i'd be lying if i call a he a she uh, Christians are called to be loving, but not at the expense of being untruthful. And so that's where um, this would come out. The Nashville statement signed by many evangelical Christian leaders in 2017, and this is a lot of like in our denomination to have right. signed this document, mm-hmm. um, says, we affirm our duty to speak the truth in love at all times, including when we speak to or about one another as male or female. We deny any obligation to speak in such ways that dishonor God's design or his image bearers as male and female. So for some people to call a boy a girl would be a, a point of conscience where they feel I'd be lying to you i'd be basically sinning Mm -hmm. if i do this Mm. Um, another one is that they feel you'd be affirming their ideology so again this is against using preferred pronouns so if we use preferred pronouns we'd be endorsing a destructive ideology Um, the trans community has been using language to transform its culture so to use their language would make me affirm or support their culture Um, and so that's that's another viewpoint and then the last one against using preferred pronouns is that you'd be feeding a delusion um, would be feeding a delusion of the person rather than loving them. Um, this can kind of bleed over into using their chosen name as well as their given name. Um, however, a lot of Christian leaders actually will fall on the side um, of still calling someone their chosen name. Again, John Piper believes that names are kind of culturally arbitrary, so he would say it's fine to use someone's chosen name, but he still wouldn't use their um, pronoun because that's the preferred pronoun because that's not matching their biological sex Hmm. so that's kind of the arguments against using preferred pronouns um arguments for are is is that language has always been flexible and changes over time 
pronouns don't always refer to someone's biological sex, but can refer to someone's gender identity. Um, the meaning of words has always been determined in part by cultural usage and the fact that pronoun usage now includes gender identity and, and not biological sex. And it, I guess it really is just true if you're going by where the dictionary is at. It, it, it does make the distinction now. So you're not lying to call a male a she if you are referring to this person's gender identity. Hmm. So if you're saying, you know, yeah, if it's, if, if it's a natal male, but you're saying she, you, that pronoun could just, just be referring to the this gender identity. identifies as. Blank. Yes. Yeah. And you're, so it, you might not be as um, consciously, consciously conflicted. Um, you're simply using language according to the social flexibility and language has always had. Um, for example, nice used to mean ignorant, pretty used to mean crafty or cunning, and girl used to mean young people of either sex. So now... Really? Yes. What? Yeah. No way. Yeah, it just used to mean young people. When? Uh, I have to go back. <laughs> A anyway, long time but ago. But no, it was... I, I mean, I, I have to go back and look, but I think it was like the 1800s. That's interesting. Yeah, there was there's a... There's... Was it Chaucer? There's, there's, a, there's a book... That it's like they're quoting and it's saying oh, girls. Yeah. And, but in the context, it was including boys. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Um, so girl used to mean, I mean, don't, don't, yes, you can cite me on girl used to mean young people, but the, the things I just gave an example of, I'd have to go <laughs> back and look. Um, hmm. The meaning of words changes from culture to culture as well. So with, with flexibility, we're not violating conscience. We're just speaking in the, in yeah. the line of today's culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the first argument for. The second argument for is um, biblical moments of language flexibility. Um, these, you know, this camp will say we see Christ's followers exploiting language flexibility in Acts 17. Paul quotes two different pagan texts. Um, and I'm just going to quote it. It says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him through, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and have, move and have our being. Um, as so, uh, and as some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. All those hymns, he's, uh, is actually a pagan text that was referring to Zeus, but here Paul is referring to Yahweh. So that some people will say that Paul was using language flexibility hmm. to help people, um, kind of, uh, understand Zeus Yahweh connection that God is what their concept of Zeus is. So that, interesting. that's, yeah, that's what. Um, what they'd say. The last one is uh, that it, argument four is that it communicates respect. Mm. People who use preferred pronouns are just communicating respect. Trans people know you <clears throat> you don't approve, so you don't have to keep you don't need to verse it on every occasion. Remind them. And then Mark Yarhouse, who we've kind of uh, referred to a lot or just gotten a lot of resources from, would say it, it's an act of respect, even if we disagree. To let the person determine what they want to be called. If we can't grant them that, it's going to be the ne- next impossible to establish any sort of relationship with them. Um, you can respect someone without agreeing with them. And so the argument for is kind of saying it's it's not um, it's not going to conflict with your conscience um, because language has been flexible. You're just respecting what someone wants to be called. You're not affirming the ideology. You're not being in line with it. Um, so that's kind of the summation of the arguments for. So that's at least, there's your arguments against, your arguments for. Um, people are going to uh, choose different routes, and both of them have uh, biblical reasons why mm-hmm. to do those. And so I think well, the important thing is that whatever you choose to do, you remember that you are a part of a body of Christ, mm-hmm. and we get to join arms together. And if this becomes um, something that's divisive within the church, I think then that's the enemy who's really just 
Right. Just, just wanting to see uh, steal, kill, and destroy. Yeah. What would you say to maybe the parent or the students that are like, I just don't want to think about the two camps. I just want to mm. not create conflict. How important is it to engage students with pronouns? Say that again. So that you're saying if you have a parent, sorry. Yeah. Say. If a parent or student is just like, I just don't want to think about why I am or am not. I'm just going to call them by their pronouns, their preferred pronouns, oh, okay. because I don't want to create conflict. Is that okay. a good enough reason or like how important, sh- like how pressing is this issue? Well, I, I guess that's what I'm saying is you, you get to, because this is not a salvific issue, mm-hmm. although for some, they would feel if you did that, you are um, kind of maligning the image of God. Um, and, and so it really, it really is a very important issue. Mm. Um, but I think as a family, you get to kind of decide what you'd like to do, because for you, maybe as a family, you are, you understand you're not going against your conscience because you know what you're referring to or you're going to mm-hmm. decide to um, communicate respect, but you're not aligning with their ideology. And maybe for you as a family, like you want to make sure that you in all aspects of life um, display the design of God. And mm. so you're not going to, um, you know, go against uh, that and, and use preferred pronouns. I-, I do think it's an important conversation for a family to decide what they're, what they're going to do yeah. to make it flippant just because you want to avoid conflict. I mean, I think you can look in any relationship yeah. that never goes well, like mm. in marriage and friendship, you know, just <laughs> right. the avoidance of conflict. I remember learning in premarital counseling that conflict is an opportunity for intimacy. Mm. And so I think conflict it's really connection, right? I yeah, it really that. is. Yeah. Conflict mm-hmm. is opportunity for intimacy. So yeah, I think actually, you should really think about it. It's actually unloving to, to just treat it right. in such a flippant way. Mm. Yeah. Because it's such an important deal that, uh, but I think at the same time, all of us are guilty of this, but we consider our own needs way too much and our own desires. Oh, sure. And we just don't want to be embarrassed or we don't want to be awkward or mm-hmm. we don't want to be. So we need to kind of check our pride at the door mm-hmm. and be humble and say, are we leading in love? Right. Um, Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. Right. Mm-hmm. And he went against the grain. He offended the Pharisees. Right. He even offended the disciples yeah. because they're like, a good Jew should not be doing these things. And Jesus was okay being called names. He was okay being doing things differently because he was leading in love and yet he was not compromising the truth. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that we need to take in our own lives. And I think what Kevin and I have, have gained mostly from this study is the church has erred in a lot of ways by saying, we are going to stand on truth, and that means there's no room for grace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's only half the gospel. <laughs> yeah. So we need to, what we're saying is we really need to bring grace back into the picture. And if that means that we kind of check our own preferences at the door a little bit, it might give us more freedom to have that conversation and that ongoing mm. um, influence yeah. in the lives of people who are gay or are transgender as well. And this just seems like such a repeating theme, but I think it's it's important that it gets repeated. And the, the repeating theme is even throughout these other hot topic like episodes, it's like the most important thing you can do to have the conversation is have the conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like get talking, get dialoguing, get you know understanding it, and expect it to take mm-hmm. a while. That's yeah. right. It's a long term, long game kind of thing. And like you were saying, Kara, to just operate out of the framework of i just don't want to deal with it is as you said john unloving Mm -hmm. that's apathetic that's like 
That's one of the worst directions you can go in, especially as a follower of Christ, because then what you paint is, well, this is how Jesus feels about things. He doesn't want to deal with stuff. Yeah, He's apathetic towards your problems, your whatever, when in reality, just conversing with um, people who struggle with these things in a loving manner mm-hmm. um, helps them more than any kind of other thing because it starts to teach them about the character and the heart of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's right. Which is their real That's goal right. anyways. And for parents, even when you're not talking with those people, but how are you talking about them? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. And what are your kids seeing in you? Are you saying, oh, those are freaks. They're weirdos. This this world is going to pot. Let's just, you know, close in. Right. <laughs> and, you know. And then what happens <laughs> when the kid at the dinner table is watching that and struggles with same-sex attraction. Yeah. Or yeah. one of those other You're things. no longer a safe person. They yeah. will not tell you. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and that will injure them. And who knows how that's going to play out. Mm-hmm. You don't know. Yeah. I think of Amos 5. I think it's 5. Um, <laughs> where... Maybe it's 6. I think it's 5. Uh, where uh, Israelites are doing um, religious processions and and festivals and stuff and god says i hate it yeah Mm. you know it's like a clanging gong and and i he says i I long for rivers of justice and righteousness Mm. and part of justice is upholding the image of god in every person is that we would restore to every person dignity and value Mm -hmm. and when you think of the person who maybe is trans and visibly might look awkward because it's clearly a biological man in a dress that doesn't fit their body that well and they've done their hair differently or something and 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 they're being ostracized by society or really put down by christians or or you know um, held at, at arm's distance it's maybe easy to belittle that person but we're called to uphold the dignity in every person um, whereas the person maybe who is wearing their self-righteousness, they, they dress very nicely, but they are just masked in arrogance and consumerism yeah. and, uh, you know, just elitism, things that are disgusting to the heart of God, but they look fine. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we too, just to them are, are, are to bestow upon them dignity that would bring about humility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so really the gospel is so wonderful because to all people, we show the heart of Jesus. Yeah. And, it, and saved or not saved, right? I mean, that, that we are, as Christians, called to bestow dignity on every person because they are an image bearer. And it is good for our hearts to remember that every person is an image bearer. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, amen. Um, you guys might have some final questions, but Kevin, why don't you bring us home as far as there's a parent out here listening or a student and they're saying, okay, I do wrestle with some of these things. What are my options? And why don't you take, I, I know there's a nuance between homosexuality and transgenderism, but why don't you take both and say, what are the, cause they kind of parallel in, mm-hmm. in the options of how you can approach it, but say, what are the options for someone who is in this moment? They're saying, okay, what next? I know I'm supposed to love this person. Mm-hmm. Now what? <laughs> um, I mean, there's some practical options. One, right. you, you go with your feelings, uh, you go with your experience, you go with your attractions. And um, so if, if you are gay, then you're going to go with your attractions and you're going to uh, be with somebody of the same sex. Um, and if you're trans, you're going to, you know, the myriad of different ways you'll ex- express being trans, you go with that. Uh, and that that's an option. Um, another option is to uh, 
understand and acknowledge that you have these feelings, but you've decided not to um, express them, live that out. For this group of people, it can mean a lot of maybe repression, a lot of um, frustration or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Although I'd still like to say in the trans community, those who have transitioned still have a lot of gender dysphoria and a lot of anxiety. So that the it way, doesn't solve it. It doesn't. Yeah. Um, which is which is very sad. Uh, but you know, those are options, right? You go with it. You don't go with it. Um, I think where we have, as Christians, we have another option that the world usually doesn't see. Right now, the world is um, preaching kind of like the gospel of authenticity, mm-hmm. and that you be you. Yeah, you be you. You have the right to express anything that you want, and anybody who comes against you is wrong or opposition or oppressive. Um, we have lost the idea that we have higher desires and lower desires. Um, and so Christians, because they have the Holy Spirit inside them, we have a wonderful counselor with a helper, a friend, mm-hmm. to not, like what you were saying, John, not just change us to be heterosexual or mm-hmm. rid us from our gender dysphoria, mm-hmm. but to understand, as every person does that comes to Christ, that the will of God is sweeter mm than anything this mm. world serves us mm. on a platter. Mm-hmm. Good or bad. Good or bad. Um, that, uh, you know, the that Jesus says it is, uh, it is my food is to do the will of my father. Mm-hmm. That to, and that to, to do his work, to follow his will, um, truly brings the soul a deeper delight. Mm-hmm. And that can be very hard because you wouldn't, perhaps live out um, certain attractions or certain desires. Yeah. But the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is you may not live out that narrative, but you're discovering the true narrative of joy in Christ Mm -hmm. that, as Paul writes, rejoice again, I say rejoice, you rejoice always. You may not be smiling and happy, and, and there may be days that are very, very hard um, you may still hate your attractions, yeah. but you understand that God is still good and for you, and that life is bigger than fulfilling all of your desires. That's right. But, and I, I just want to say this too, is that you are actually more deeply satisfied following Jesus than you ever thought you would be following mm. your affections. That's because right. go down that well. Does that truly, mm. and even statistically, has it truly satisfied the person? Mm. I think just statistically, you'll see it doesn't. No. But who is the bread of life? Who has the living water? And who satisfies the sinner's soul more deeply when you're going to get to Jesus? <laughs> That's mm. awesome. Mm. I love that. I think also that it just shows so much how we as Christians um, must have a hope that's fixated mm. forward mm-hmm. on on the resurrection yeah on, on, on that moment and to try to live here as if we could turn this into heaven into the like as if this landscape is going to be perfect and i'll be without my unwanted attractions and so on and so forth like that's a bad mindset mm-hmm. um on an unhopeful helpful mindset mm-hmm. um and i heard on another podcast a christian who um uh, struggles with gender dysphoria saying like that's the place where his hope has to rest yes mm-hmm. yeah. um fix your hope completely on the joy that will be grace to be brought to you with grace, the relationship there you go. and Christ. that's every yeah. one of us <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> yes, every Which is one why of us. yes it's uh, yeah it's perfect yeah i think that 
also just to name it too, not only attractions and desires, but our identity to our identity mm-hmm. in Christ is so much bigger and better mm-hmm. than anything we can come up for ourselves. That's yeah. exactly right. And we live out of our identity, mm-hmm. right? And so I would give one last thought. You're a parent, you're like, okay, that's great. That's what I want my kid to pursue. Um, the third option, <laughs> we would yeah. highly recommend it. Um, obviously, in situations like this, counseling, we would highly recommend counseling mm-hmm. with a, a Christian mm-hmm. uh, therapist because there are so many nuances and traumas mm-hmm. and different things that come into play that you really need someone to come alongside you who has studied it, who knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then obviously church community as well, mm-hmm. that you need to push into community rather than withdraw from community. Mm-hmm. And so we in our youth ministry, we want to be drawing people in and mm-hmm. we want to make everyone feel like they belong even mm-hmm. before they believe and become, right? Yeah. Um, so belong. we start with belonging, not you must be this way before you can come in. Mm-hmm. We, we want you to feel like you're at home right now and then work with you. And so that's a goal. But I would say, if you're a parent, reach out to us too, because mm-hmm. you might just be thinking, I am so overwhelmed, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Reach out to the church community, and we would love to help too. I don't know if we got time for this, but I will say for the parent, maybe who is a Christian, who has a non-believing teenager who has come out as gay or trans, um, of, of principles to think through. Um, Yes, we raise our children in the wisdom and admonition of the Lord. We teach them scripture. We want them to know the joy of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if they have at that point in their life decided to reject it and, and walk out, you know, in this uh, in a different way, um, through, you know, maybe perhaps through a lot of prayer, talking with your spouse, kind of coming up with a game plan. If if all you do is try to convince them, you got to be straight, you know, or and then or we'll kind of, accept you, or yeah. yeah, and then we'll accept you, or, or pound them with um, certain scriptures that might become traumatic scriptures. Try, try to them. convince them to become straight, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it that that might be a little bit more harmful than helpful. Yeah. Um, and and what might be helpful is like what we were saying is is bestow them dignity. And remind them what a beautiful image of God that they are. Yeah. Um, love them well and be curious on their behalf. Try to understand their experience um, and try to create as many connect points as mm. you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if they have a boyfriend, you know, if they're a boy and they have a boyfriend, ask about their boyfriend. They know you don't agree, mm. right? That, but ask, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, can continue to create connect points with your child um i, I just think it's going to go better in the long run than yeah. to, to alienate them and you don't have to, shame you don't them. have to compromise your morality to have that relationship right and and rosaria Butter, butterfield who is um prolific writer and she is uh lesbian but is uh in a mixed orientation marriage so she's married to a man uh she's a believer she kind of makes uh, puts it in wonderful words, just saying the difference between acceptance and approval. Mm-hmm. That you can accept someone in your home and your heart doesn't mean you approve of everything that they do. Mm-hmm. Just as a friend, you know, I accept you as a friend. I accept you in my home. We hang out. Maybe I don't approve of how you parent your child. You know, yeah. we still it's not going to make us not hang out. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so your teenager, you might not approve of what the way they're living, but you can show them the acceptance of Christ. Yeah. One book that Kevin and I will put in the show notes, but we loved 
was uh, Space at the Table, and that's by Brad Harper and Drew Harper. So it's father and son. It's a Christian dad. It's a son who is living out, I would say, what do you think, number one? Yeah. He's living. The son's non-regenerate, not a Christian, and he's living. Actively living as a homosexual, right? Yeah. But they have space at the table. They're mm-hmm. they're conversing, and uh, actually, Kevin and I listened to the audio version, which was great because it's actually Them. the son and the father reading it, and so you that can hear their inflection and their mm-hmm. tone, and so it's just beautiful. So it can be done. Doesn't make it easy, and they both say this is not easy. Mm-hmm. And so, parents, if you're hoping that we gave you the easy answer today, sorry, there isn't one. Mm. But that is the process of sanctification as we all strive forward towards Christ. And so we want to help you in that. We don't ever want you to feel alone. Um, there's a lot of probably research that's even going to be coming out in the next, mm-hmm. what do you think, decade, you know? Oh, I'm sure. Just figuring out what's going on here. Um, but we were grateful to go through this because it, it does give us a better understanding so that we can better encourage our teens. Yeah. Yeah. And for those of you who uh, go here to Grace, this is, again, this is a preview of what's to come. Um, this will be even as fleshed out as this is already and thorough, guys. This is awesome stuff. Um, it will be even more so, and uh, it will be it will be a curriculum that will come around to the different Sunday schools and Wednesday night groups um, here at Grace. So look forward to that. Mm-hmm. That'll be a really good thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm going to wrap us up in prayer, and uh, and then we'll end the episode there. So, Jesus. Um, these are difficult things to talk about. These are difficult things to interact with, um, to struggle with. All of this is, is a difficult thing, God. Um, and we realize that's because the world is broken. It's not as it should be. Um, and um, there's been hurt. There's been all kinds of hurt along the way from all kinds of different people and even in the church um, over this. And God, I pray that you would restore um the church to a beacon of light mm-hmm. and 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 love steadfast love your love um that the church would not be known for bigotry um that it would not be known for being hateful but that it would be known um for life and truth and love mm. and a kind of love that um doesn't just appease but a kind of love that points to you um so We pray you um, do this work in the big scale and also um, here with us in the youth group and in our lives as individuals. Thank you so much for um, the research that Kevin and John have been doing um, and for this um, curriculum that's going to come out of it. Um, It's a really good thing. God, please help us as we um, walk with you and grow in wisdom and understanding humility. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Teleos. We hope it helped you on your disciple-making journey. If you know anyone else that might benefit from the conversations here, we would love for you to share it with them. You can find Teleos anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more or get hold of us, visit our website at gracepress.org student. That, along with all other resources you heard about in this episode, can be found, as always, in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening in. See you next time on Teleos.